Okay. We may start a few minutes early, end a few minutes early, we'll see. We're going to look at the uh, life of Richard Wormbrand. Some of you probably know him better than I do, but I read part of his book this past week, uh, Tortured for Christ, and I thought this might be a good reminder uh, for us for a couple of different reasons. I don't. This may be the only week we do this. I don't know if I'm going to do another one next week, but um, I was challenge and encourage reading his short book. Some of you could buy it on Kindle today for $4 and read it before tonight. It's a real challenging book to read, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. But let's pray, and then we'll read our theme verse and think about how God used him at a very difficult time in history. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your mercies to us as we gather together. It's a beautiful day you've given to us. We do thank you for the cool temperatures, and we pray, Lord, for our study this morning as we think about a life of a believer who suffered greatly, Lord, for uh, his faith in your son Jesus, Lord, and many people in his country. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about how we would uh, respond if we are faced with similar circumstances in our day. And Lord, we pray that you would, again, be gracious to our nation. Father, we pray that you would be gracious to the believers in this country, Lord, help us to have wisdom to know how to stand firmly in our faith as we are tested more and more. And Lord, we pray that you would allow this story of uh, this Romanian pastor, Lord, to encourage us, Lord, and give us strength in our own day. And Lord, we pray your blessing upon our time together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, uh, some of you probably have heard of him. I've heard of him several times in the past. Uh, you know, different authors referring to him, making a quote or an illustration, but I never read uh, his book. So our, our verse that I chose this morning was Matthew five ten through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And uh, the introductory article that I'm going to reference is actually a short article. I put the first paragraph in this, but uh, International Women's Day was last, was it Tuesday? And uh, I saw, you know, a lot of people posting. I even saw a pastor posting, um, just so excited about his wife. Um, and, and I have no problem with that. Quote, but maybe we don't realize the connection that March 8th has with some bad events in history. And uh, this particular article, you can search it for yourself. I'm going to read it so that those maybe listening can hear it. But March 8th is the 104th anniversary of the start of the Russian Revolution. Right? And that was a bad thing that happened in history. It was sparked by a violent workers' strike and was among the catalysts for the toppling of the monarchy and the regicide of Tsar Nicholas II and his family, and the beginnings of communism's iron rule that laid the groundwork for the Soviet Union, with its mass starvations, torture, and executions of millions under Joseph Stalin. March 8th also happens to be International Women's Day, and the article is saying that these two dates are not coincidental in terms of the history. Women's Day in our country has had a different date in February uh, in previous years, but the article is suggesting that there is an intentional linking of Women's Day to March 8th, and it's all about revolution. 
And you can read that even from this particular, it was a bloody overthrow there in the, of the Russian monarchy and the implementation of communism. You can read the rest of the article. I actually printed it here if you want to look at it. It's very short, but the author is saying that there is a connection and many modern people may not be aware that there is a dark history on that particular date. If we are going to have an International Women's Day, I'm all for it, but not that date because it links it too closely uh, with that. Uh, that is not something that we want to celebrate. At least I don't want to promote that in, in my thinking. The life of Richard Wormbrand, I looked at the Wikipedia introductory article, and so I said, I'm going to post it for you so you can see it. It's actually quite accurate in the, in the introduction. It may, it may be other parts of it are not, but let's look at that briefly, and then we'll get into how this person uh, suffered greatly under communism. He, his, his other name is there. He was born in 1909. He died in 2001. He was a Romanian evangelical Lutheran priest and professor, right? He was a Jewish person that became a Christian eventually. In 1948, having become a Christian, 10 years before, he publicly said communism and Christianity were incompatible. I agree with that, right? Wormbrand preached at bomb shelters, and rescued Jews during World War II. As a result, he experienced imprisonment and torture by the then communist regime in Romania, which maintained a policy of state atheism. After serving a total of 14 years, he was ransomed for $10,000. That's way beyond what the average prisoner was paid at the time. His colleagues in Romania urged him to leave the country and work for religious freedom from a location less personally dangerous. After spending time in Norway and England, he and his wife, Sabina, who had also been imprisoned, emigrated to America and dedicated the rest of their lives to publicizing and helping Christians who are persecuted for their beliefs. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently he is the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. Um, and, and I think it went through a, a few different names. But uh, this book, Tortured for Christ, it's not a long book. Uh, have any of you read this book? It's probably, in the, it's probably in the school library over here, but I want to read something here in a moment. Uh, it's short. It's about 140 pages. Again, many of you could read it in an afternoon, I think. But he wrote this in like three days after he was released from prison. Again, I didn't know that, but listen to what he says here. He says, It was written in only three days shortly after my release from prison, but it was written with pen and tears. I mean, he's writing about things that I cannot even imagine I've never experienced. And that is why I think there's a certain authority that he has to teach us about how we should respond or think about how we might respond if we're faced in a difficult situation. In the newer, this was published, I think, and he wrote it like in 66. So that's, you know, that's a long time ago. Uh, so he's writing from that perspective. And he says this about the book. Vietnamese house church leaders, right, when communism came there, once shared with me how they prepared their Christian flocks to survive and grow under the expected communist takeover of South Vietnam in the 1970s. They distributed the Vietnamese translation of Tortured for Christ as a survival guidebook, a testimony of an overcoming faith in incredibly difficult circumstances. That's quite interesting. I have no idea, apart from the grace of God, how this man survived all of these things in prison. I mean, it is horrific uh, when you read some of the things that he says, but that's a little bit of his background and introduction. Now, he had a hard life, right, from almost beginning to end. He was 
orphaned in the first years of his life. This is a little bit of his background and how he became a believer. He was brought up in a family with really no religious affiliation. And so he was bitter as a child. He was an atheist, right, as a young kid. Uh, he doesn't believe in God. He's living in poverty. He's, he, he lived through the difficult years of World War I. At the age 14, he was convinced. He was a convinced atheist. He was, he was as convinced an atheist as the communists are today. He wasn't a communist, though. He was just an atheist. Uh, he had no interest in, of course, religion or Christ and so on. And he said something interesting. And these are things that, you know, you just hear, hear people share these testimonies, you just wonder, like, how God works this. I'm going to read part of how he went to this little village in Romania. He says, During this time of inner turmoil, an old carpenter in a village high up in the mountains of Romania prayed like this, My God, I have served you on earth, and I wish to have my reward on earth as well as in heaven. And my reward should be that I should not die before I bring a Jew to Christ. Right? So he's praying, I just want to win one Jewish person to faith in Jesus Christ. He says in his prayer, but I am poor, old, and sick. I cannot go around and seek a Jew. In my village, there are none. Bringing a Jew into my village, bring a Jew into my village, and I will do my best to bring him to Christ. Something irresistible. And now we have Wormbrand describing his own situation. He says, something irresistible drew me to that village. I had no reason to go there. Romania had 12,000 villages, but I went to that one. He has no reason why he's never been there before. And it's a story of how this carpenter, a Romanian carpenter, uh, shared the gospel with him, witnessed with him, spent hours with him, right, explaining the Bible to him. Uh, His wife, they prayed for him, and he finally becomes a Christian. Soon after that, his wife becomes a Christian, and he finds himself eventually a pastor of a small Lutheran congregation. So that's kind of the background in, in what is going on in his life before the communists come to power. Now, even before the communists come to power, there is also something quite interesting uh, to consider. The Nazis were there. And so they had to deal with the Nazis. He's Jewish, right? And the Nazis came before the communists, he says, and the Nazis persecuted Protestants and Jews in Romania. Even at that time, Wormbrand and his wife were arrested several times. They were beaten and hauled before Nazi judges. And he says the Nazi terror was great, but he said it was only a taste of what was to come under communism. That's really enlightening, isn't it? Their son that they had, at least one son, they could not give him. They wanted to give him a Jewish name, but they could not give him a Jewish name because that would lead to his death. He says these Nazi times had one great advantage. They taught us that physical beatings could be endured and that the human spirit, with God's help, can survive horrible tortures. Again, I read, you're familiar with some of the things he went through, and it's just like unbelievable. How, how does he survive these terrible things? They taught us the technique of secret Christian work, right? The underground church movement, which was a preparation for a far worse ordeal to come, an ordeal that was just before us. And again, Russia in, on August 23rd, 1944, that's like the official date, they send a, a million Russian troops into uh, Romania. And he says that's when the nightmare really began uh, in our country. Uh, he saw communism from the very start as something that was incompatible with Christianity. Uh, he, he is saddened in those early years on how, uh, how many 
church leaders thought that it was compatible and they didn't really say anything about it. But I put a quote there under the seizure of the first point. We saw that communism is not from men, but from the devil, right? And I mean, Carl, he wrote a book, I put in the footnote uh, called, Is It Marx and Satan? Uh, and just this is what happens when people take these ideas and implement them on national levels. Communism quickly attempted to control all churches. And the first point here is that communist leaders convinced many church leaders to support them. And they were pretty successful, apparently, uh, at doing this. Many of the pastors, uh, we, we studied this uh, when German nationalism took over, right, in our study of the church in Babylon and, and under Hitler. Many of the cler- members of the clergy supported that time. In 1945, when the communists seized Romania and attempted to control the churches for their purposes, Richard Wormbrand immediately began an effective, vigorous underground ministry, right? And and so he's going to have kind of a twofold ministry during this time. And he's basically going to have three years to minister, right, when the communists entered before he's going to be put into prison for 14 years. And so the first part of the lesson is, what did he he do, right, in those first three years when he did have freedom uh, as, as a pastor and so on? So he describes uh, this as a time when church leaders kind of rolled over and cooperated with the communists. Certainly not all of them, but he said many of them did. Two, the communists acted friendly in order to win them over to cooperate. This is interesting what he says here. The Communist Party had a, a convention, a meeting of all the religious leaders, right? Maybe not everyone in the country, but most of them were there apparently. 4,000 religious leaders. There would have been pastors there and, I'm sure, Orthodox priests. And those religious men chose Joseph Stalin as honorary president of their Congress. I mean, it tells you something, doesn't it? It tells you just the thinking uh, that was going on in their, their minds. Maybe they were all fearful. I don't know. Three, Wormbrand was dismayed that church leaders did not resist. One after the other, bishops and pastors arose in our parliament building and declared that communism and Christianity are fundamentally the same and could coexist. One minister after another said words of praise towards communism and assured the new government of the loyalty of the church. I have a couple of things I'll read to you from the book just to give you a sense of of the way he illustrates some of these things that are going on at this time. He's sitting there in the Congress, his wife is with him, and his wife says to him, Richard, stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. They're spitting in his face. I said to my wife, if I do so, you lose your husband. She said, I, ha- I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. I mean, imagine you're in a situation like that and your wife tells you that. And so... He stood up and he stated publicly his opposition to communism and his support for Jesus Christ, and it was being broadcast throughout the nation. You know, he says, I later paid for that stand, right? He's going to pay hard for this. And yet this guy is some kind of a strange optimist. He says, I saw it as an opportunity to speak about Jesus. And that's how he looked at it. That's how he apparently looked at this. Again, the speech was at the Congress were broadcast to the whole country, and they heard him proclaim from the rostrum of the Communist Parliament the message of Jesus Christ. And so he, he testifies how different bishops, uh, you know, this is really one that was hard for me to believe. One particular church leader, and I think this was a Protestant church leader, a seminary professor, a Lutheran bishop, 
in Romania. He began to teach in the theological seminary that God had given three revelations, not two. The one, the first one came through Moses, the second one came through Jesus, and the third one came through Stalin, and Stalin superseded all previous revelations. I mean, you just imagine this as going on in a seminary, right? Perhaps because of the fear, whatever, you want to keep your job. I don't know what it is, but those are shocking examples, right, of things that took place. No wonder he was dismayed with church leaders. For three years, he engaged in a twofold ministry. One was kind of a public official, respected ministry, and the other one was private and quite dangerous. Russia, again, sent one million Russian soldiers to Romania. It's a, it was a country at the time of 24 million people. And he, he makes a comment in his book, he said, with just 10,000 members in the Communist Party, they completely controlled our country, right? even though they, they were the ones in the minority. Uh, they, they controlled all of us. To appreciate Wormbrand's perspective on his love for ministering to the Russians, consider one of his personal motives. Okay? He has a deep love for Russian people even before they ever came to Romania. Right? He actually spoke Russian, and he wanted to go to Russia to evangelize. So he has this great love for people. And, he, and we, we remember the time when Russia was known as kind of an atheistic state. Remember those days? He says this, Out of remorse for having been an atheist, I longed from the first day of my conversion to be able to witness to the Russians. The Russians are a people raised from childhood in atheism. My desire to reach Russians had been fulfilled, and I did not have to go to Russia to reach them. In fulfill, its fulfillment began in Nazi times because we had in Romania many thousands of Russian war prisoners, among whom we could do Christian work. And so uh, he's going he's gonna to get involved in, in ministering to Russians that had come to his own country. And one of the things that he mentions here uh, about this, he, he gives several examples in the first chapter of his book about his encounter, his encountering uh, Russian people, right? And he, he gives this, this sad example. He, he encounters a Russian member of the military. And he says, I'll never forget this first Russian prisoner. He asked him, does he believe in God? He asked him things about Jesus Christ, right? And he talks about the gospel with him. And the soldier looks at him and says, I have no such military order to believe. If I have an order, I will believe. He's been so taken up in the collective of what the state atheism uh, religion has taught him that he can't think for himself. And that's one of, the, one of the fears, I think, that communist governments have of Christians. We, we think for ourselves, right? We, don't, we can't follow a lot of the things. And, and he's shocked that this guy doesn't think for himself. He says, tears ran down my cheeks. I felt my heart torn in pieces. Here stood before me a, a man whose mind was dead. A man who had lost the greatest gift of God has given to mankind to be an individual. He was a brainwashed tool in the hands of the communist, ready to believe or not, on an order. He could not think anymore on his own. This was a typical Russian after all these years of communist domination. Uh, that, that's really a, a sobering paragraph in, 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 in many ways, isn't it? So when the communists took over, they sent a million soldiers into the country, and there he says their beloved king, the Romanian king, Michael, he was forced by the Russians to include uh, communism delegates in the government, and Wormbrand 
has something that he has this to say about our country, and it, and it may make us uncomfortable. He says the Americans, he basically says the Americans and the British were supportive of all this is going on at the time. And he says this, quote, men are responsible before God, not only for their personal sins, but also for their national sins. The tragedy of all the captive nations is a responsibility on the hearts of Americans and British Christians. Americans must know that they have at times unwittingly assisted the Russians in imposing upon us a regime of murder and terror. As a part of the body of Christ, Americans must atone for this by helping the captive peoples come to the light of Christ. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but that's not a very um, positive picture about our role in our, our country uh, when the Russians were taking over Romania and maybe even other parts of Eastern Europe. So in spite of that, I, I, I didn't read anything else where he's negative towards Americans in, in the role of our government. Two, in public he ministered to many from the Russian military, okay? And he has access for a reason. This is kind of his public ministry. This allows him to do many things in public uh, under the full support of the government, okay? And so uh, there are a couple of illustrations I'll give to you from this particular page, but he began his underground work to the Romanian Christians, right? That, that was good. But he said outwardly and publicly, he had a very respectable social position, which had nothing to do with my real underground work and served as a cover. Be open, brothers and sisters, if things get difficult in our country, God can be very creative in allowing you to do work for his kingdom in ways that we would not think could be possible, right? I was pastor of the Norwegian Lutheran Mission. At the same time, I represented the World Council of Churches in Romania, He says this, in Romania, we had not the slightest idea that this organization would ever cooperate with the communist. At that time in our country, it did nothing but relief work. See what he's saying? Uh, This Norwegian Lutheran mission, they only do relief work. That's really their main mission, Uh, even though they're part of the World Council of Churches. He says, I have these two titles, right? This respectable title that I can work with, and that gave him access to practically all of the Russian barracks. And it gave him numerous, numerous opportunities to share the gospel with Russian soldiers, men and women. And by his own account, many people that were serving in the Russian military, they came to faith in Jesus Christ because he was willing to share the gospel with them. Again, that's a very, very beautiful picture of his willingness to keep serving Christ in a very difficult time in the history of their country. I'll give you a couple of examples uh, you know, because he could speak Russian, there was a great advantage that he had. And he says these Russians, they, they are thirsty to hear the gospel during these years. Uh, he would speak with different officers and he would share them. He would share the gospel with them. And, he would, and sometimes they were just in a total ignorance in the beginning. They didn't know what. He said there was one Russian officer. He asked him about the gospel. He had no clue about it, but he was interested. So he read the Sermon on the Mount. They talked about some of the parables of Jesus. And this guy is excited. He's believing in Jesus. And he says, I made the mistake of telling him about the crucifixion. And the guy just goes into this deep sorrow. How could he die? Imagine you're the, the first person in your family, perhaps, you've heard about the gospel from this. It's like you're so ignorant of what the Bible says. And so he, he shares a few paragraphs. He said, I finally told him about the resurrection. And the guy was just elated that Jesus had risen from the dead. The fundamental things of the faith were not familiar to them. 
And he talks about how God uses these odd situations of just total ignorance of Scripture to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. In another occasion, he talks about he helped translate for two Russian soldiers, a men and a woman, that were in a shop. And the shopkeeper, the Romanian shopkeeper, could not speak Russian. And so he he helped interpret, and then he invited him to his house for dinner or for lunch or whatever. And there he shares the gospel with them. And he says before they eat, you are in a Christian house and we have a habit of praying. And so he prayed in Russian. And he says they put down their forks and knives and were not interested in food anymore. They asked question after question about God, Christ, and the Bible. They knew nothing. And he told them the parable of the 99 sheep and the one sheep that was lost, and they couldn't get it out of their mind. How can someone own a 100 sheep? The government would take that away. Their their communism had affected the way they read the Bible. They couldn't comprehend these things. And so they asked some really interesting questions. And again, God uses Wormbrand to lead these Russian officers, these military members, to faith in Jesus Christ. And he he has many other stories about the productive times. He, he, he's in a Russian barracks and he says that at that time Russians loved watches and it was not uncommon for a Russian soldier to have three or four watches on both arms. They loved watches. And he went into the barracks and he wanted to speak the gospel, but he started talking about watches. And he, when he thought it was safe, he began to speak about the gospel and he, he recognized there's another Christian in here and he, he developed a, a sign, kind of a sign language symbol. He said, the, the Russian said, when I put my hand on your knee, they're in a group there, he's talking to all these Russian soldiers about the gospel, you stop talking about the gospel and start talking about watches. And that's what they did. And they knew that someone was coming in that wasn't friendly, wouldn't like what they're hearing. And then when the hand was taken off of the knee, he would go back and talk about the gospel. And apparently God had used Wormbrand to lead possibly hundreds of Russian soldiers who were serving there in Romania to faith in Jesus Christ. Again, it's a, it's a wonderful example. Uh, they loved, he says, Russians love children. They're probably like all of us. They're away from their families. They miss children and they would write tracks in Russian, they would give them to their children, the Romanian Christians would, and the children would give them to the Russian soldiers, and they would take them and they would read them. And they did all of these kinds of things. They would even print tracks that looked like they were communist propaganda. They would have the first 10 pages with quotes from Stalin and Lenin. And then when you get to page 10 and the gospel starts, and they would be giving these people these tracks out and people would be taking them and reading them. And he said, by the time they got to page 10, we were gone. They didn't know who gave it to them. And so they, they did find creative ways to, to spare, the, spare the gospel, uh, to spread it uh, in their own days. Now, three is the private secret underground work, and that's really the more dangerous aspect of his work. Uh, when you think about some of the things he says about this period of history, it's just hard to believe what these Christians went through. These were dark days for Romanian Christians. Um, You didn't know if your family member might turn against you because of the secret police. There was all kinds of pressure from the secret police. Who is spying on you to believe and so on? And he gives an example uh, of this on page 29 uh, of his book about this underground work with Romanians. 
He says, I myself was later in prison together with souls whom God had helped me to win for Christ. I was in the same cell with one who had left behind six children and who was now in prison for his Christian faith. His wife and children were starving. And he kind of asked the prisoner, do you have any regrets for what you have done? And the prisoner said back to Wormbrand, quote, I have no words to express my thankfulness that you have brought me to the wonderful Savior. I would never have it another way. It's remarkable. You can, you can, there are still YouTube clips of interviews with Wormbrand. And something that struck me when he was sharing about the, 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 the deepest, darkest days in prison uh, is they're tortured just repeatedly the things that he went through. He almost goes into this trance and he talks about how in those darkest days, it's as if God gave them a vision of heaven and they were, they were so peaceful and happy. I, I, I can't even imagine that, uh, what he's experiencing there. But, but that has to be an example of someone that's truly just totally committed to Jesus Christ, right? To his will. Uh, yeah, how, how, does a, how does a human being a Christian, that is the help of the Holy Spirit, I think. Uh, just amazing testimony that he, that he gives. So here in private here with the underground church, he is doing his best to be faithful to the Lord. And he gives, again, many different uh, il- illustrations. One afternoon, his wife had the privilege of speaking to a thousand factory workers at the entrance of Maxlana factory in the city of Bucharest. She spoke the words of Christ, the words of salvation. The next day, many workers in this factory were shot after rebelling against the injustices of the communists. And he looks at that and he says, they heard the good news and many believed just in time. He also talks about a time when two Christians that he knew were very bold and they actually had an opportunity to be close to the then prime minister and they spoke to the prime minister in public on a stage about the gospel and they said that they encouraged him to repent of his sins and stop the persecution of Christians and they threw the prime minister threw these two Christians in jail. But it was years later that the message of the gospel that they spoke to the prime minister bore fruit. When the prime minister was himself sick and near death, he remembered the words of those two Christian men. He probably didn't even know the names, did he? And he too turned to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but it's Minister D.E.J. at the time. I don't know what year uh, that would have been. But those are examples of he's, he's telling us how God worked in their life. Uh, during this time. Now, he says this, and this is something interesting. We'll come back to this in a moment. He said it was so bad that there were people in the underground church that actually chose to join the secret police and act as if they were communists so that they could be informants to help the underground church. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Now, I don't think that that's a contradiction of one's faith when you think about what Daniel went through in the book of Daniel. But you think about the strategy that they were willing to put on a uniform and maybe their own family members didn't realize that they were really Christians, but they were kind of acting as if they were a communist agent. He said, these people received so much abuse from Christians for what they were doing. And I'll come back in a moment to tell an interesting story about his uh, imprisonment in his eight years imprisonment is quite amazing. Our second point is Richard Wormbrand suffered faithfully for Jesus Christ. Again, he was kidnapped 
by a slow-moving van that stopped as he walked to church on Sunday morning to preach his message. It was February 29th of 1948, and he he shares uh, all of the kind of the details of what happened there. Now I'm going to read part of it, and then remind me to come back and tell you how people found out that he was still alive in prison after eight years. His wife thought he was dead. He spends eight eight and a half years in prison. Uh, His wife uh, was visited by uh, Romanian communist officials, and they said, look, we we, we witnessed his death. He's buried. He's dead and gone. There's no no more hope. They lied to her. He wasn't dead. Uh, They they were trying to discourage her, too. His wife also spent three years in hard labor uh, prison, and she dealt with many difficult times. We'll come to some of those in example. Uh, in, in a moment. But again, you can imagine just the difficult things that uh, this man is living through. Okay, so we're down here to five. He was kidnapped, and I want to refer to something else there. He says, this happened on February 29th of 1948. He says, many at that time were kidnapped like this, not just him. A van of the secret police stopped in front of me. Four men jumped out and pushed me into the van. I was taken away for many years. For over eight years, no one knew if I was dead or alive. My wife was visited by the secret police who posed as released fellow prisoners. They told her they had attended my burial. She was heartbroken. And yet, she didn't know that he's still alive, but she waits for her husband for 14 years. Isn't that amazing? Uh, When she finally finds out, she's going to find out, I think, after about six or eight years. I'm going to read that in a moment. Uh, number one, for the next eight years, no one knew if he was dead or alive. He, he's kind of a fairly well-known pastor at this time, I believe. Um, but they didn't know if he was alive. Did he die in prison? And he tells the story of going back to the secret police. This is something that kind of surprised me uh, when you think about this. We instructed Christians, right, in the underground church to join the secret police and put on the most hated and despised uniform in our country so they could report the activities of the secret police to the underground church. Several brethren of the underground church did this, keeping their faith hidden. It is not easy to be despised by your own family and friends for wearing the communist uniform and not to tell them your true mission. Yet they did. So great was their love for Christ." When I was kidnapped from the street and was kept for years in strictest secrecy, a Christian doctor actually became a member of the secret police to find out my whereabouts. That's incredible. As a secret police doctor, he had access to the cells of all prisoners and hoped to find me. All his friends shunned him, thinking he had become a communist. To go around dressed in the uniform of the torturers is a much greater sacrifice for Christ than to wear the uniform of a prisoner. That's a profound thought, isn't it? The doctor found me in a deep, dark cell and sent out word that I was alive. He was the first friend during my first eight and a half years in prison to discover me. Due to him, word was spread that I was alive, and when prisoners were released during the eisenhower Khrushchev thaw in 1956, Christians clamored for my release, too, and I was freed for a short time. I mean, imagine that. This is not a pastor that finds him. It's a a doctor that could have just kept his practice going, but he joins the secret police, and there he finds this pastor that had been in prison for all of these years. Uh, His wife thought he was dead. 
He does say here that even though the, he says, nevertheless, many members of the underground church were discovered and imprisoned. He says, we had our Judases too, people that told on us. So what an, what an amazing statement of his three years of ministry to Russians and to Romanians and his love for these people. And then he gets thrown into prison. And boy, that's really when his life begins. The suffering is just hard to imagine what he went through. His wife was sentenced to three years as a slave laborer, then eventually released. Uh, She survived these three hard years. And you can imagine what could have happened to some of these ladies. I'll refer to his book on page 47 in 48, where he talks about his wife and the things that took place. Girls have been raped by brutal guards. The mockery, the obscenity is horrible. The women were compelled to work at hard labor at a canal which had to be built, and they had to fulfill the same work as men, and it was winter time. My wife has eaten grass like cattle to stay alive. Rats and snakes were eaten at this canal by the hungry prisoners, One of the joys of the guards on Sundays was to throw women into the Danube River and fish them out, mocking them, laughing at them, looking at their wet bodies. He said, my wife was thrown into the Danube in this manner. Their son was nine years old and was forced to fend for himself. Imagine that. My son was left to wander on the streets when his mother and father were taken away. And there was a law in Romania if... Christians are put into prison. Anyone who helps their children will be severely punished. And here you have a nine-year-old. What is he going to do? His father and mother are taken away from him. And he passes through this incredible crisis of Christian faith. Does he believe the gospel or not in this difficult time? One lady tried to help him. Uh, She was beaten so badly that after 15 years she was still crippled. A lady who risked her life to help her son into her house was sentenced to eight years in prison for the crime of having helped families of prisoners. All her teeth were knocked out. Her bones were broken. She will never be able to walk again. She too will be a cripple for life. And the kid is not even 11 years old. You think about what he went through. This kid is wondering, does, you know, is God really a loving God with all of this happening? I mean, he fends for himself on the streets. It's just something incredible. He survives. He becomes basically a full-time worker. He is kicked out of probably at least four schools from, I guess, the elementary age into high school, into college. He's even kicked out of seminary because everyone is uh, agreeing with Lenin and Marx, and you're not supposed to do that. And he has an incredible crisis of faith, but he finally comes around, and he, too, is going to be a committed Christian Uh, in his life. And again, wonderful example of how God works in the life of his wife and son. Three, thousands of Romanian Christians were taken to prison in these years. And this would have been, again, a a terrible time. Unspeakable difficulties. He talks about another fellow pastor in prison with him. I cannot pronounce his last name. I'm going to try. The name of a pastor, Florescu, was tortured with red-hot iron pokers and with knives. He was beaten very badly. Then starving rats were driven into his cell through a large pipe. He could not sleep, but had to defend himself all the time. If he rested a moment, the rats would attack him. He was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night. The communists wished to compel him to betray his brethren, but he resisted steadfastly. In the end, they brought his 14-year-old son and began to whip the boy in front of his father. 
saying that they would continue to beat him until the pastor said what they wished him to say. They're asked, they want him to recant. And you know, you can, I, I really appreciate the words of uh, one little sentence after this that Wormbrand wrote. He said, the poor man was half mad. He bore it as long as he could. When he could not stand it any longer, he cried to his son, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beating anymore. Uh, The son answered, Father, don't do me the injustice to have a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If you kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. The communist in rage fell upon the child and beat him to death. With blood spattered over the walls of the cell, this little boy died praising God. Our dear brother Florescu was never the same after this. Uh, I I understand part of why he would never be the same, right? I can't imagine going through the things that he went through. Consider some of the other treatments that they gave these prisoners, these Christian prisoners that would not submit to communism because of their faith in Jesus. He said, handcuffs which had sharp nails on the inside were put on our wrist. If we were totally still, they didn't cut us. But it bitterly, in bitterly cold cells, when we shook with cold, our wrist would be torn by the nails. Christians were hung upside down on ropes and beaten. This is not that long ago, is it? This is in, what, the 1950s? This is happening in this part of the world? And it's probably happening in China today, North Korea, and other parts of the world. They were beaten, hung upside down, beaten so severely that the body swung back and forth under the blows. Christians were put in ice box refrigerator cells. Wormbrand was in these many times. They were so cold and frost that it was covered inside of the cell. He says, I was thrown into one with very little clothing on. Prison doctors would watch through an opening until they saw symptoms of freezing to death. And they would give a warning and guards would rush in to take us out and make us warm. <clears throat> Repeat the cycle over again. Get you warmed up, get some food in you, and repeat that terrible cycle. They were placed in wooden boxes with nails to it so they could barely move, and they were forced to stand in those boxes for endless hours, hour upon hour upon hour. So you get the idea that he's only describing part of what he went through in his book, Tortured for Christ. I put in your footnote that in his book, In God's Underground, that's where he recounts some of the uh, other things that we probably just don't want to mention because some of these are very graphic. They're hard for us to hear. He says that even to this day, when before he died, when I opened a refrigerator, it still gives me that terrible memory of being in that ice box, right? For He says, I'm very sorry if a crocodile eats a man, but I can't reproach the crocodile because he's not a moral being, but humans are. And that is why we, we think when people do this, they should be held accountable. We'll move on and we'll end pretty soon here. Prison at this time often included torture. We've mentioned some of it. There are many other things that he went through that he had to withstand. You imagine 17 hours a day, he's forced to stand up and he cannot sleep. And they're telling him repeatedly, communism is good, communism good, communism is good. Christianity is stupid, Christianity is stupid. Give up, give up, give up. He said, they tried to brainwash me, but he says, and he, he again, he takes back to a simple answer. If Christ has washed my heart, how can I be brainwashed? I mean, such a simple answer. And he withstood. God helped him. He later testified before the, inter- the Internal Security Subcommittee of the U.S. Senate. I think this was in the 1950s. And he described they, they removed his shirt to see what had happened. And the Norwegian doctors, when they first saw him and they examined all of the holes in his body and the scars, they said, it is an absolute miracle why this guy is even alive. How can someone survive that? 
And he talks about the prisons and thing, many prisons where he, he knew friends and the different prisons he was in, what they did to people who professed faith in Jesus Christ. On one occasion, uh, a worker, in a, a young lady in their underground church that had planned to get married very soon, well, the, the communists discovered that she was a Christian. They decided to arrest her, but they waited until the day of her wedding, and they arrested her on the day of her wedding. And I won't, uh, don't have time to quote, but she gave a public statement to her husband that never was to be, and it's a beautiful statement of her trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So these are examples. Wormbrand says at one point, he says, the Christians who suffered in Russia and Romania during these years are very similar to the Christians of the first century. And it's so close in time to us today. So I hope that this encourages you to think about what I don't know what we're going to face in our future, but also the thought of uh, the suffering of, of Jesus Christ as we move closer to Easter and what he went through for us. I'll leave you with Hebrews chapter 12 at the beginning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I pray that that encourages you today. If you want to read that book, you could probably read it within the next few days. Uh, if you know of other people that have suffered like this that we could study next week, please let me know. Uh, I know that there are many. Any quick comments before we close? Okay. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Lord, we pray that you would keep us faithful in our day, in our country. We think of Christians throughout church history that have suffered greatly for their union with your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to not only pray for Christians who are suffering today in the persecuted church, but Lord, you would keep us faithful in days in our own country. We pray, Lord, that communism would not prevail in this nation. Lord, we pray that you would be gracious to us, be good to us, and Lord, give us the grace we need to live faithfully for you this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.